Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the two. 28th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nenhauser at HawkBlogger on Twitter. At least I think that's who I am. I uh, I had a night last night, guys. It it was it was. Can we talk about this for a sec, Brian. Yes. I so yeah. you you actually you want to open it. You want to tell the audience about what happened, and then I have a potential solution that you should have enforced. So. I'm I'm getting some crazy feedback. I've got to figure out where it's coming from. So you start. Okay. So from what Brian told us in the DMs over text, I don't even remember where he sent it to us. And Jeff, you can aid in into this story. But apparently, so Brian's staying in a hotel right now, and the room next to him was extremely loud all night long, staying up till 5 a.m., partying, you know, music level 9,000, Totally not uh, respectful or, or acceptable in a hotel environment. And he called the hotel multiple times, and they would not do anything. Ryan, do I have your story correctly correct so far? You do. You do. So here's my, here's my solution. Have you ever heard of the piss pancake? No. Okay. This goes me back. This goes back to my college days. Okay. So this is a little. This is a little training here. Um, it's a little PG 13 for the podcast, but I, th- okay. I think it's okay. So 
you urinate into a large plastic bag. Nathan knows exactly where this is going. You flatten the large plastic bag. You stick it in the freezer. So it's a, so it ends up thinning and basically being like a pancake styled uh, frozen piss bomb. And what you do is you slide it under their door after it's frozen and they won't notice it most likely. And it will disintegrate and oh, melt Jesus. <laughs> in their hotel room and they will leave Brian. They will leave. Not only is that just, it's an amazing disgusting. solution it's it, an it amazing is, it, solution like, it's a fascinating fascinating science experiment do you think i want to be pissing in a plastic bag and 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 piss and waiting for it to freeze in a hotel first of all does anyone have a hotel room with a, fr- a freezer in it it don't most hotel comes rooms come with a no. freezer they no. have like shitty little like fridges that no. barely keep water cold all I'm saying is if the options are stay up till 5 a.m. or make a piss pancake, Brian, you, you can't tell me you don't have time to make a piss pancake. You can't tell me that. I, I would have I would have considered it last night if I had thought of it and had the uh, the necessary equipment. Um, so I want you sounds, to know I've that been, sounds wrong, but I've been <laughs> I've been thinking all day about wanting to tell you that, and it just happened to be the pod. So I'm sorry. <laughs> what does it take? What does it take a like a Ziploc baggie full of pee? How long does that take? Two three hours to fully freeze? Oh no, not even. And I can speak from experience here. Okay, well so- I was gonna say because <laughs> I just love the idea that like at the drop of. Uh, like at a drop of a hat the second that evan has a problem he's pissing the ziploc bag just in case like just in case guys it's a slide under on, the door type maneuver if we're I, still pissed off in three hours about this i've got us covered yeah, it takes it takes about two hours for it to be legitimately semi-frozen you know a quicker sort of uh defreeze you know a quicker melting process is beneficial here that's fair that's fair. and have you done this before oh many times in college i got suspended for it that's awesome oh my without question i love this all right well uh lesson learned it probably would not stand out in new york they might not be able to tell the difference uh from the odor um one way or another but welcome to real hot talk this is where we're starting it can only go downhill from here that for folks that did not recognize the voice was evan hill at evan hill hb on twitter uh, we've also got Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter, who was wisely quiet during that segment and uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E 11. How you guys doing? How do I follow that up? Uh, I was on probation for something like that, but in, in college, but not no piss pancake. I think we broke into a guy's room and I don't remember what we did, but that story fascinated me. Evan, I'm glad I'm not on your bad side. <laughs> I just spent a lot of time in college pranking and not studying, basically. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not alone. That's that's not a bad way to spend your time. Um, so I got to tell you guys, like my experience in New York has not just been uh, yearning for piss pancakes, apparently, or, or not sleeping. But I, I told you I was going to be flying into New York, like and trying to get there before the game. We sat on the tarmac. We were going to get there early, like 45 minutes early. And then we sat on the tarmac waiting for an hour for someone's luggage to get loaded. 
And so I ended up being like landing within five minutes of when the game was going to start and frantically trying to find on my phone where I could watch Fox because apparently I couldn't watch Xfinity. Xfinity doesn't let me watch Fox outside of the home for whatever reason. So then I was like, Fox Sports app, finally the NFL Network app, NFL app work. And I'm sitting here in an Uber, like for an hour between Newark and Brooklyn watching this game. And I got to tell you, it took like, I was having heart palpitations watching the first half of that game. I don't know why, but that game had me super, super stressed. It was intense and it felt like, it felt like the closest thing we played to playoff football this year. Did you guys, did you guys have any of that? Or I just like on some kind of weird uh bio rhythm like nathan was this a stressful game for you at all no um i'm not quite there yet um maybe you're just a little emotional this week brian because you were also losing your mind over the broncos game um (laughs) so angry about that i was too i was too with a very angsty 9 a.m and sunday morning in the group chat (laughs) well i was in i was on the plane watching that i was very mad (laughs) um yeah i do think that this is creeping up though seahawks twitter like you know all off season and and preseason start of the season everyone was pretty chill and everyone was like oh it's just gonna it's gonna be so nice not to have expectations and it'll just be a fun season and i think that 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 vibe is still mostly there among fans but um as the playoff thing becomes more and more real uh, I think you can start to see the edge uh, coming back on folks a little bit. Um, so I'm not quite super angsty about it, but like, I mean, I think at this point I'm going to get more and more nervous about games just because of, I mean, they, they, they are, it, they, it's all there for them right now. They're in the lead. Like it's right there. So. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, like I remember when, Trey, as part of our prediction show, was like predicting the playoffs for the Seahawks. And Nathan was kind of like trying to like talk himself into how that could be possible. And that sounded honestly like ridiculous. Like it was like, okay, yes, if everything goes right, never, never, ever, ever does everything go right for a team. They're going to probably be a lot worse and we're going to look silly for even having the conversation. It doesn't feel silly anymore, does it? No, not at all. And I did not think, I thought they'd be terrible this year. And I was actually excited about where they were just like as a franchise going into the year, but they, I just thought they'd be, they'd be unwatchable in offense, but no, I don't see how you can not look at what they're doing, what's going on in the NFC and the NFC is so watered down right now. And just the kind of teams they're playing and they, they basically, one lot they could have won that last game by three scores and the week before essentially they won by three scores and there just hasn't been a lot of scenarios in the last couple of years where the Seahawks were beating teams like that and the, the way they're winning is real it's not fluky it's not lucky it's, it's sustainable it's with young players the defense is starting to show trends like I don't think it's crazy at all to think like that Evan you've been kind of outspoken about that you're not afraid of any team in the NFC yes yeah, I still feel that way. I don't think the NFC is particularly loaded at all. There's only really one team in the NFL that I'm scared of, and it's the Bills. Like, I, I think we can beat the Chiefs. I know we play them on Christmas Eve. I think we can. 
I think we can. I don't know if we will. I mean, we'll get we'll see how things go when we get closer. Uh, did you watch that Grant Cohen video I posted? I did not. Tell me more. Holy though. shit, dude. You've got to watch it. I will send it to you again so you can see it. So for folks that don't know, Grant Cohen has been a common subject of disdain uh, among this crew. Like he's pretty obnoxious. He's a 49er blogger kind of reporter. He's kind of in between-ish, somewhat credible, but also like he's like Evan of 49ers Twitter, like a lot of hot takes, a lot of like trolling people. And he trolls his own team as well as trolling opponents. And he put out a poll that was, are the Seahawks pretenders or contenders? And that kind of got my attention. And I was checking out because I, I figured if he was asking that, they might have talked about that recently. So I watched his podcast like uh, the, on Twitter. And the first half of the podcast was him and his co-host just trashing the Rams. So this is the first thing, which is like, you have to understand, like, how much time have we all spent talking about how the Rams are like a kryptonite? Like, can't Pete can't beat them. They're so good. They're talking about them like, this is one of the worst teams in the NFL. Like, this is not last year's Rams. Uh, the Seahawks are lucky that they get to play the Rams twice still because this is such a bad team. Um, all they've got is Cooper Cup. <clears throat> on and on and on. And basically trolling the 49ers saying like, 49ers fans, you haven't beaten anybody. The only team you've beaten that's any good is the Seahawks. And they went on to talk about like the Seahawks and Grant Cohen went on a good five minute diatribe, Evan, about how Pete Carroll, like that this is, this is what a good well-coached team looks like. (laughs) An extremely well-coached team. And then they both talked about that. If the, if the 49ers lose, this division to that team, to the Seahawks, that they've got to fire the coach. Like that Kyle Shanahan, he's got to go. Like that's where we are right now. Like they're going through and they're like, I'd rather have Geno Smith than Jimmy Grapple. They're, they acknowledge it. They're like, Seahawks defense is a lot better than it used to be. Seahawks defense gets stronger as the season goes on. And they're basically going through our, like our reality. And that's where, like, they're the, they've been like the 49ers trolliest trolls, right? How many conversations have you got into with Grant Cohen about the Seahawks? And here he is, like, he's on the bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, nobody can dispute what Seattle's doing right now. They are, Pete Carroll, is, Pete Carroll has got these young guys to buy in. Their defense over the past three weeks, what'd you say, was number one in DVOA or somewhere else on Twitter? Insane. Yep. Insane. Four weeks ago, I was bitching up. We were all bitching up a storm about how bad this defense was playing. And now that the defense has started to turn it, turn it around with those defensive line, uh, you know, adjustments they've made, they're starting to generate pressure. They're starting to get to the quarterback. Man, this is Seattle's division for the taking. I think if you're um, the Rams, you can kind of excuse it by saying who Super Bowl hangover, whatever. Still, you know, not not great with where you're feeling, but I think if you're a Niners fan, you're very, very concerned about the state of their team and the state of the division. Yeah, I mean, Nathan, we talked about at the beginning of the year that like when its defense was like one of the worst in the NFL, like maybe it can get to the the low 20s. Like maybe it can get a 20 or 21st or 22nd ranked defense. Like that was like maybe, maybe if everything went perfectly, get in the teens. 
they are at 12th in DVOA for the full season, not even just the last three weeks. <laughs> I actually know they're 11th. They're 11th. They moved up one. They're at 11th now. Uh, like, what's your take on this defense? Is there is this is this the defense now, or do you feel like this is a mirage? Like, how bought into what this defense is are you? Um, I'm pretty bought in. Um, they made like they've made clear schematic changes. They they've gone back to uh, everyone talked about the three four this year and and you know all, all that. And they actually opened the year trying to do a lot of different things. Um, and they've gone back to what they were doing largely last year with three, four bear looks and things like that. Um, and it seems to have really evened things out. It's allowing the defensive line to play much more aggressively uh, and to make plays, which was the biggest issue with this defense at the start of the year. Um, you know, uh, if anything, you think this defense can just continue to get better. Um, you know, Tariq Woolen and Mike Jackson, they have not hit their ceilings yet. Um, we're, they're getting Trey Brown back and we'll see what he can add. Uh, Kobe Bryant has not hit his ceiling yet. I think you can realistically expect growth out of, um, uh, uh, both the linebackers, Barton and, uh, Brooks, uh, Taylor has not played his best football, although it's been better. So yeah, I mean, they've made some clear changes that have allowed them to, put themselves in better positions and they have guys with upside. So I think it's, I think it's real and they could, you know, I don't know if they're going to end up being the number one defense in, in the league, but I don't think it's hard to see them staying around the top 10. That is fucking insane. Like it's insane. Uh, Jeff, I still look at this defense and I'm like, that is not a talented front seven. Like I look at that defense and I'm still like, there's like a lot of just jags there, like like nothing, like especially on the defensive line. But they aren't letting anything happen at this point. They like they just absolutely trashed Saquon Barkley and Evan. Just so you know, I looked at PFF grades for the last three weeks when they were playing so well, and they made this change to the defensive line. You want to know the last ranked player? On hey the guys, UCF I gotta defense? take a break from the podcast. I'll see you guys. <laughs> It is Quinton Jefferson at 44.6 in PFF. But anyway, Jeff, I mean, what's going on? Like, is this a top 10 defense? It's got the potential to be. And really, I think Nathan said it really well. I think it's a lot of what they did last year. And going into the year, a lot of us thought, I know like Mike Clay ranked the positions. And I was a little optimistic. But this defensive line group was supposed to be pretty good. And guys like Puna Ford and those guys have been pretty solid for a long time and the way they were they were using them differently and i remember me and evan were texting during the first five games of the year like we haven't heard puna's name once we haven't seen him and they're getting blown off the ball and al woods has been pretty consistent so i do agree with you brian there's not the game record in this defense and frankly i think it's a huge organizational need they don't have that game record daryl taylor was supposed to be that guy but nuosu's been way better than i could have expected he's been mm-hmm. really really good Bruce Irvin, who I was like laughing at the idea of him playing, he was good. Like, and he boy, was really good. Boy, Mafe is a different player than I thought. I thought he was going to be more of like an explosive edge rusher. He's setting the edge and he's good in run defense. So they have a lot of pieces that kind of work together. Like, I do think they don't, I think in a playoff game or against a better team, you might see just that lack of a game wrecker or a blue chip guy, whatever you want to call it. But the defensive line is a 
as a group that, that we said, I think you even said, Brian, the defensive tackles before the year, like you thought they'd be pretty solid. And there's Shelby Harris. You look at how many guys got graded over 70 by PFF and we can argue PFF grades. It's not like three of them. There was like eight or nine. So they have the, now that the defensive line is getting blown up off the ball after every play. I remember Nathan was talking about that. I think after the Saints game or the Lions game, it's impossible to play defense when you're getting crushed up front. It's just, I can't, I can't get over it. I'm surprised that you're so surprised because you picked them to be 15th in points allowed uh, in our projections. Uh And you were pretty bought in on the defense last year, which was 11th in points allowed. So like, why is it just because they were so bad to start that they've turned it around? They were bad in, so they were bad in a different way this year. And I don't think we've talked, we, I think we've talked about it generally that uh, they, again, they're starting as one of the worst defenses in history. This is their thing. In past years, they've been doing that in coverage. Their secondary was nowhere near players. They were 10 yards off the ball and it was just like, people were picking them apart and it was just like, and we didn't have talent back there. And it like, it just, it was awful. And the run defense was pretty good last year, but it was like, great. So <laughs> the three times someone runs the ball, we can stop them, but like, they're going to get 400 yards in the air. Uh, this was the worst way to play defense to start this year, which is they couldn't stop the run at all outside or inside. And the defensive tackles were supposed to be anything like be able to stop the inside run. They couldn't do that. The linebackers were awful. They weren't making plays inside or outside. And the secondary was okay. Secondary was kind of like, I would say it was almost the inverse. It was, but I talk about this a lot. Josh Jones was so bad. In he was games. really bad. And Brian Neal's been like a 90 PFF player in the last two weeks. Which is that's the thing. From like the worst player on the defense to a 90 PFF player. That's it. And it's not like Ryan Neal hasn't played extended snaps before. He's had multiple years where he's gotten a few starts and he was like, he'd have some plays, but then he'd end up being trash. And all of a sudden he's like an elite safety. So like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just part of it. Nathan is, I actually agree with you. And I, and I'm frustrated that I agree because it's totally getting me. Like I'm looking at, I'm like, yeah, like they should stop these teams. And I'm like, I'm, I'm worried. My heart is going to get hurt by this team. That's what I'm starting. Like I'm starting to have expectations. I'm really surprised you feel that way. I mean, it's not to harp on what the other guys are saying, but I still feel like we're playing with house money here. Like if, if we lose every other game, the rest of these, the rest of the season. I'm you not say that. You say I'm that. not gonna be upset. That I, is bullshit. I, I'll I'll accept wins. I'm just saying I will tolerate losses as well. How much of that has to do with like it would ease the pressure off of your Geno Smith takes and your Pete Carroll <laughs> takes? <laughs> no, You're but living a little bit of like a mixed mixed. We uh, do. We are here. we are playing with house money, <laughs> and 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 it feels like every win here is just it's gravy on top. Like I. That's the they're so damn lovable right now, though, and they so are. damn fun. 100%. Like, <clears throat> this, it, I, I mean, yeah, like, I think heartbreak does lie ahead. I think it, it's going to be in the playoffs. Uh, 
but this is a team that is really easy to just just really easy to root for and love and have fun with and it's gonna suck when it finally comes to an end i'm like i said i'm i'm not stressing about these games yet but i i do i do feel the hope and uh, like i'm starting to yeah uh i'm ready to be hurt again a little bit on with this team so (laughs) remember how 2018 ended that year was fun for the most part Really, Jeff? Really, What's Jeff? 2018? What's really, Jeff? Fun? What happened? <laughs> really? That was really, Jeff? Cable Thanos. That was a fun year. That's true. Speaking of which, he's back. I mean, he's back, everybody. If you haven't gone to Josh Cashman underscore, is that his handle? <laughs> Josh like, Cashman why? underscore, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Josh. Uh, but you got to go there on Twitter and watch, you know, or on our YouTube channel. He posted it there as well. That was awesome. Evan, you did you have anything to do with, with convincing him to do that? I bullied that motherfucker so hard <laughs> into making a video. I cannot even – what he doesn't show on Twitter is the excuses he made, the time he delayed, how much he procrastinated. He He's a slave for us. He works for us for free, and I had to put him back in his place a little bit. But, no, he did deliver. It's – uh. DK Metcalf pooping in the bathroom was hilarious. <laughs> so oh did you guys God. see uh, he did an interview and he talked about it, right? And he said that he was he was mic'd up for that. So look, I know that there's a lot of very important people and influential people who listen to this podcast. If you can get us the audio of DK pooping, we will get Cable Thanos. We'll get Cashman to do another video and include the audio. So just, you know, uh, you know where to find us. Uh, if you can, if you can make that happen, let us know. NFL we, films. We're, we are here, you know, doing God's work for you know charitable causes and any sort of poop-related humor. We we will be involved with that. Uh, that was like. Seahawks Twitter like that was emblematic of like the fan base just in full throat like everyone is like back together like celebrating that video went to like 500,000 views in like eight hours or something like that like it it's been years right it's been years and I if I'm Josh I like I didn't have anything I wanted to really make a video about with the Seahawks the last few years I would like actually wanted to actively avoid it <laughs> so man if Nathan you talk about how lovable the team is like it's I think it's gotta start with Gino like I I, I I think but like I still think this offensive line is one of the like least heralded parts of this story and some of the things if I'm looking past this year the thing that I am the most excited about what this can be is the combination of Gino I'll throw Kenneth Walker into that mix and the offensive line, like the receivers for sure. But Tyler's like, he's got how many more years? Don't know. But this line is like those tackle. I'm just so psyched about that, Jeff. I mean, like it's, it's every, that could be the thing that could have blown up and it hasn't. It's funny because we talked about this before the year and I thought this was going to be like a lousy team and we were going to have to just find some strange silver linings and, They've almost gone so reliable that we just almost don't talk about them anymore. I know their pass protection grades come out and they had that game a couple of weeks ago where they did struggle against Arizona, but like the next week they completely 
shut down Khalil Mack. And this week, the, the video of like Thibodeau wrestling the pasher comes out and like, it's awesome. Like they're, we're, they're almost so good now. We barely talk about it. And it's been unbelievable. Even like Austin Blythe, who Brian hated and he was a, <laughs> he was a stopgap. And like, he's playing really well. And just like, it makes sense why they got him. And Andy Dickerson's like one of the untalked about stories of how many good things they, and they, they moved on from Solari. And it's just cool to see that how comfortable and Brian, you talked about preseason. Like it was a story no one was really talking about. And it's pretty impressive that like they have Woolen, they have Walker, they're gonna steal all the flash. It lets these guys kind of go under the radar, and that's kind of how it's supposed to be. You have to be careful with how much you praise the uh offensive line, as I'll say. There are people who will get pretty touchy if you start to give them too much credit in certain aspects of the game. So oh yeah. you, talking, you can't you can't you can't you can't be too complimentary of the offensive line because maybe maybe you're taking away credit from some certain other people that you know the offensive line had nothing to do with kenneth walker's touchdown run against that is true that is absolutely true i mean if we want to talk about running backs mattering like i know it's not fair to expect like any running back to do that kind of thing very much but that that was a very singular effort uh with plus you do have to give dk some credit on it (laughs) (laughs) right yeah for people that tell people that don't know what you're referring to that maybe didn't see the video uh so i mean you always see receivers that like they on run plays a lot of times they like will run a go route to like fake out the corner and take them out of the play sometimes they block sometimes they do well dk decided to run a a fade or just kind of a go route and he he did he he sold the whole thing he kind of like stuttered and tried to separate and he he tried to basket catch and the cornerback had no clue what was going on (laughs) was completely lost uh dk said that uh in in the one of the pressers that um after the play the cornerback jokingly said f you to to dk so like he knew he got got uh there's video of it out there go find it it's really entertaining kenneth walker is working his ass off to get in the end zone and this cornerback's like oh god dk's gonna get me (laughs) uh evan i have a question for you it's gonna be uncomfortable hit me okay was this pete carroll's best coached game in the last two to three years against the giants I'll, I'll i'll give you at least a couple things to chew on there fourth downs going for it on fourth downs twice when it was zero zero stop and saquon barkley running passing like nobody else has uh that he went over to tyler lockett after lockett had those two tough plays and lockett credited him afterwards uh for being for saying something that kind of got him out of out of his own head and back in the game he went on to catch the game-winning touchdown i'm trying to think of any games that legitimately compete against it I thought this stood out. I, I thought back-to-back weeks. I mean, if you go back to the Geno play against uh, the Chargers and Pete telling them to calm down, like those are moments where Pete was actually having an impact on the outcome of the game that wasn't maddening. 100%. The I mean, Geno I, thing with a legit Jedi mind trick type deal. I mean – that drive that they had on Sunday, where it was like, what, like 18 or 19 plays with two fourth down conversions was so ballsy. And that was so impressive. That was maybe one of the most impressive drives all season. 15 plays. 
And those two fourth down conversions, both of them were passes, right? Like Tyler Lockett out of the backfield, flipping out to the side, and Will Disley on a shovel pass. We also saw, I mean, Shane Waldron's got all the rope he wants now, right? Like, it's pretty obvious. Like, Geno Smith walking the line, looking like he's making an adjustment, direct snap to Kenneth Walker on third down, and he runs straight ahead for first. Like, Shane Waldron's, like, bringing, like, we're seeing creative play calling that I feel like we haven't seen in Seattle for a long time. That's... I don't think they've come out on the positive end of that on the whole. <laughs> that is true. Between the, the D fumble and the DJ Dallas uh, interception. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> about that, that is a fair counterpoint. You're right. Yeah. You're right. But it, it's cool that they're doing some of it. They just need to dial it. Like the direct snaps to, to Walker. Great. Keep doing that. Some of the other stuff, maybe chill a bit. Um, Nathan, would you mind looking up patron questions? Uh, I got them right here. Okay, well, before you do, if folks haven't already, click the like uh, on the show, please. It takes two seconds. We really appreciate it. I know we're doing an earlier show tonight for those on the West Coast, but it's, it's right at the right time for those of us on the East. Uh, and then go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up right now. We've been getting more and more patrons joining. The community's growing. Get immediate access to the Slack channel. And you get to be one of the people to ask these questions every week that we then answer because we are here as slaves to you. The way that Josh Cashman is a slave to us. Okay, Nathan. All right, Brian. Uh, I'll give this first one to you. It's from Derek, uh, not that Derek, a different Derek. Um, <laughs> uh, he says, "Given Pete's success this year, how much longer can he realistically coach?" Last year we drilled Waldron, but it looks like maybe that was Russ's fault. Is he a candidate when Pete hangs it up? Do you think Pete is is planning his exit at all right now? I think that's a great question. And before I answer, I'm going to give a chance to plug Derek's work for the blog. Mm. He posted a great article this week. And if people haven't been to hawkblogger.com, check out the article that Derek wrote um, on breaking down the offense and how it's defied expectations. There's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good deep dives on, on different parts of the offense there, including personnel groupings and other stuff. Um, <clears throat> I think Pete's been pretty open about this. He's been talking about a five-year plan. And I think that's how he's thinking about it. And I don't think he has any plans to go anywhere. And I mean, he is feeling himself right now. He, we have never seen him be this out front about how he is flexing in, about like people thought he was being left behind by the game and that he focused on the run too much. And that, you know, anyway, and he's like all the doubters. So he spent most of his career, at least in Seattle, talking about how that stuff's, they don't pay attention to it. Bullshit. That's, that's, that's a fantasy. It's clear that that's been in his ear. And I think it can only embolden him to stick around. I don't, I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah, I, uh, I agree there. Uh, Jeff, Silk wants to know, how long of a leash does Cliff have in Arizona? I feel like this team, or his team, uh, have been underperforming and underwhelming for five or six years. I don't think he's been in the league for five or six years yet. Have he? No, no like I three? think he's been a year when Kyler did. So, I think this is his fourth year. Yeah, although probably fair to go back to his college uh, time and say those were underwhelming too. Uh, yeah, so how, how much longer do you think Cliff has in Arizona? I think this year could be it. I think they have had the same pattern and it's got dates back to college where 
They've been really, really bad in the second half of the year, and they started hot. And they, they carried him with them. He was like that at Texas Tech. This year, they've started off. I think they've been leading in like three minutes a game this year. And they just gave him an extension after this year, which a lot of people were left scratching their heads. But they're just, they just seem like a franchise that's going nowhere. And if they keep on this trend, I would not be surprised, even if they extended him, if, if, if he's out this year. I think they have to have a pretty drastic turnaround for him to save his job. Can you, adding on to that question, did, did you hear the story about Patrick Peterson and what happened with him? Yeah. Tell people about that. Like, this was, this is, that franchise is fucking insane. So, <laughs> we saw how a lot of the stars things ended with Seattle and how the bad blood, how it got. And I watched the Arizona-Minnesota game, and Patrick Peterson was, like, dancing on the field and celebrating at the Cardinals' direction. I thought it was a little weird, but after the game, he talked about how his last year in Arizona, someone from the organization would put, like, hate mail from fans at his locker. He didn't play very well his last year in Arizona. And he said he didn't understand, like, who from the organization could have possibly wanted him to see that. But these letters, these hate letters, would end up at his locker. So he said he still hasn't talked to the GM, Steve Kime, since he left there. And this is a guy who's like an all-pro level player for years. And I guess we saw how things went with Earl and Sherman. So it's not that out of line for what we've seen. But it was just weird talking how hateful he was. And now he hasn't talked to the GM. And the, the hate mail thing is just so bizarre. You would never have, I mean, yes, to Earl, whatever should happen. You would never have Pete Carroll or John Schneider intentionally having hate mail put at Earl's locker room at a locker after every game. That is like a scummy, like low life thing to do. And I think that just represents the whole organization from the owner to the GM uh, to the coach. Who's not scummy, but like not a leader. And then their quarterback. I mean, I think that's a, that's, that's an organization that's like, you talk about baseball teams being strong up the middle, like, this is an organization that is just like, like rotten through the middle. Uh, I think they're in real trouble. I mean, the fact that they've kept Steve Kime for so long just shows how, like, I mean, he is a very notorious piece of shit. Yeah. He's had, he's had so many DUIs, so many run-ins with the law, so many reported poor interactions with players, media, coaches. He's just, it starts at the top. I think it's an ownership level issue, genuinely, with the Cardinals. Yeah. It starts with Michael Bidwell. He sounds like an Arizonan, really. <laughs> okay, uh, Evan, <laughs> Rondi wants to know, which of these young tackles, uh, that's Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, uh, I assume, uh, I don't think he's talking about Jake Curran, um, do you see having the higher ceiling? Put, we'll put them all in there. Uh, Charles Cross, Abe Lucas, Jake Curran, um, Stone Forsyth. Um, who's got the highest ceiling? I think, uh, I think the easy answer and the answer I'm going with is, is Charles Cross, frankly. He's got the physical traits to be an absolute top three, you know, left tackle in the NFL. Uh, combine that with his tape in college, and there's a reason he was a top 10 pick. I'm shocked he even lasted to Seattle's pick. Um, but I think the reason I'm going with him is because that left tackle position is so absolutely critical that I'm kind of factoring the premium uh, position of left tackle, even over right tackle uh, in that sort of calculation. So I think Abe Lucas has 
you know, sky high ceiling right now. Uh, he's not, he's not as strong physically, but uh, I'm going with cross. Brian, you feel the other way around, right? Are you still an Abe Lucas over cross guy? Yeah. At this point, um, I, I think that Evan might be right in terms of ceiling. We'll find out, but right, right now, I think that Abe Lucas looks like he could be a all pro level right tackle. And I'm not sure I've seen that yet from cross. Jeff, a, a third Derek wants to know, Derek Woods, which young player's development will be most crucial to the Seahawks success this year? Um, and is your answer the same if we're talking about the next three years? Probably not. I think long-term, the most development, I think it has to be the tackles. I think that's the most sustainable position. I think if Cross can become like a Pro Bowl, all-pro kind of left tackle, with this, with this roster, that, that really increases their Super Bowl ceiling. I think for this year, it might be Walker. I think Walker might have the biggest impact on some of these games or maybe Woolen. But I think teams are going to start throwing away from Woolen. So we saw that a lot last week. I think he had only one or two targets, which is, says a lot in itself that he's already become the do-not-throw-at guy. So I don't if they're not throwing at him, I don't know how much better he can really get. But if it might be Walker, which is weird considering – but he, he just seems to change the game almost – Every time, he, every game, the Giants did a really, really good job on him. I was really impressed with how they played him, but just that one run where he can separate and create touchdowns and you just see how important that is. I don't know who else it would be because Lucas and Cross are on a pretty good trajectory. Kobe Bryant's getting better. Mafe, I don't think has a crazy ceiling this year. So maybe you guys see it differently, but I don't, it's a tough question. Dude, quickly on the draft class, we were all talking about this being like the best draft class in the NFL and the best draft class in years before Mafe was starting and before Kenneth Walker was starting. <laughs> That's happened since. And it was, honestly, we were talking about before Kobe Bryant was actually covering well either. Like you could just argue that like the class is getting better and better. And I think to Nathan's point might have higher ceiling. Like I think it's reasonable to expect that both offensive tackles and that all the players on defense will be better at the, by the end of the year than they are right now. It's pretty cool. I, I would maybe go a little bit of a different direction because he says specifically which young players development will be most crucial. I think it, I mean, I don't know how, if you can consider uh, uh, Taylor young still, but if you're talking about development, because, you know, Walker is already making an impact, the tackles are already playing well. Woolen is already looking awesome. If you're just talking about like development from this point on for this year, I think you can make an argument that Taylor really developing and, and being the player he should be is maybe the most important thing at this point, just because all the rookies are already playing so well. Yeah. I think him and Jordan Brooks, I mean, I know Jordan Brooks has been doing some good things, but I think you're right. Like yes. those guys aren't having still the impact that you'd hope that they would have um, yeah. relative to their talent. Yeah. You saw Taylor when he can, when he like explodes off the ball and what he did in the chargers game, what he did in the Cardinals game, to add that kind of pass rush, it doesn't have to be. He's not an every. It doesn't seem like an every damn player, but mm -hmm. they do lack that game wrecking player. And if you can just get a play like that, and you can just like I watch those all access videos where you can see you can just see his energy is a little different on the sideline now compared to the first game. He was moping a lot early on because they're running right at him. So it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see when he gets healthy if he can have those kind of impacts in game. That's a great answer. Ed. Uh, so, um, John always has awesome questions for Evan. Um, so Evan, John wants to know, <laughs> now that, that Gino, 
now that Gino's an MVP candidate and we're not picking a quarterback in the first round, uh, and because for some reason we haven't uh, extended Jason Myers yet, do you think they'll be drafting a kicker in the first round next year? I don't think they'll be drafting a kicker in the first round, no. But but seriously, guys, they do need to get an extension done for Jason Myers. Like, I'm dropping the bit for a second. They need to extend him. Need? Anyways, uh, Zero Should. wants to. <laughs> okay. I'll Why? accept that. What are you paying him? What he's currently be paid? Like $4 million a year. <sighs> Come on, man. It's $4 million. Come on. You know how much Gino's getting paid this year? Like six? You know, is it four and a half? I think he's probably, they're going to be, they have to be awfully close, right? It is close in base salary. <laughs> I thought Gino's base salary was like one and a half. No. no I thought it was higher than that. I three think and a half. Three and a half. He's getting paid less, motherfucker. As he should be. Jason Myers <laughs> is more, oh, more valuable to this team. Jason Myers cap is five million dollars this year. Holy shit! At least he's playing well. I'll give him that. And that's an old contract. If they re- if they extend him, he's going to make more. Yeah. Would, I would you so much would rather you roll make... the dice with a rookie? Guys, you never roll the dice on on kickers. If you have a stable, cons- no. If you have a stable, consistent one like a house gun, you keep them. You keep the kicker. Do How not fuck with this. Every field goal and extra point taken last year and then oh making them God. other years consistent. How is that consistent? Oh, my God. He didn't miss a field goal for like a year and a half, Brian. A year and a half and on then the calendar. What happened? And then what happened? And then he came and then he was human again. <laughs> and then he made mistakes. You're okay, I'm Jason. You, you have me actually mad about this now. I'm <laughs> Justin Tucker is making $6 million a year. Yeah. And he's the best kicker of all time. And he is the best kicker of all time, but I don't know how much that matters. When did he sign his deal? No, that, like, that's a good baseline. You shouldn't be paying oh, close to the best kicker of all time. I agree, Jeff. That is the way to think about it. Okay, but Chris Boswell is making $5 million a year. That's, that's so, the problem. Are you going to... And like, you know, I mean, like with less with kickers, but you, it always goes up. So are you paying, are you making Jason Myers like the highest paid kicker in the league? I'm giving Jason Myers four years, four 20 years. million right now. Good God. You're going to sign him until he's four years, 30? 20 million, four years, 20 million right this second. I know right he looks second. like he's 22, but he is not actually 22. <laughs> You'll be signing him through his age 36 year. That's fine. From that part, I don't have any problems. With Would you like a Janikowski back? They've shown their willingness to go up to like. Dude, 15. he's one of the best special teams coverage tacklers we've ever had. <laughs> All right, enough. Let's move Enough on. Jason Myers talk. <laughs> enough Jason Myers talk. Um, Thank you. Uh, oh, so Jeff, we've we've been talking about this a little bit. Zero wants to know. So, according to ESPN right now, over under set at for this game is uh, set at forty nine and a half. And the Cardinals are favored by two. How do you feel about those numbers? Feels like the odd makers aren't buying into our defense yet. Um, you've been talking about this a little bit, that you, you've got some gambling podcasts that you listen to, um, some degenerate podcasts you listen to. And, <laughs> and uh, it sounds like hardcore gamblers are bought into the Seahawks, but maybe Vegas hasn't caught up yet. 
That's exactly it. I, I've been listening to this. I listen to this podcast. I, I don't, I'm not even a gambler. I'm just curious. I just get a different perspective of the game hearing the gamblers talk about it because the gamblers don't react week to week like the betters do, like the real professionals. It's all based on like pure power rankings and a lot of the mistakes a lot of betters make is they'll overreact week to week. So the one thing that professional betters have been saying all year is that the Vegas line makers aren't buying the Seahawks team. And when like the, the line came out against the chargers, I think it was like six and a half for the chargers. I think it opened up and the professional betters like went crazy with that. And it's been a couple of weeks now where like even the week where the Seahawks played the Falcons and the Seahawks were so bad in, in San Francisco and they were favored. A lot of people just have, and this professional betting show has been talking about Geno's like stats for a while and, I think they still look at Geno Smith and like a lot of people, maybe they expect the bottom to come out because usually a lot of like the, the DVOA and the advanced metrics have been pretty positive on Seattle, especially when Geno was rolling early in the year. And now the defense has come on. So it's been a little surprising that Seattle kind of opened as a, I think based on how Arizona's done, I think they were a three point underdog. They opened at. So it's possible. They still aren't buying them. I know division games are always, the lines are always close, but still a lot of the betters, a lot of the money has been right away on Seattle. So it seems like maybe it's the Geno Smith thing. Maybe it's the Pete Carroll reputation. It seems like they're continuing to spec the bottom to come out. So the betters are loving this because they, they say they don't have the read on this team at all. And it's weird because everyone's kind of talking about them the same way nationally and keeps happening. Can I share a fun Arizona Cardinals fact? Trivia question. How many touchdowns? Dino Benjamin. God damn it. <laughs> I love that. How many touchdowns? How many offensive touchdowns have the Cardinals scored in the first quarter this season? Oh. Nathan says one. Any others? How I'll many? say I'll say three. Nathan, fuck touchdowns? you. How'd you know that? I know things about the Cardinals, it turns out. God damn it. How does he get yes, nerds. Did it, and it just happened like this week or the week before, right? Like that just happened. They got their one last week. Yeah. Resident Cardinals expert, Nathan Ernst. <laughs> uh, 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 that's it for Slack questions. But before I turn it over, I want to point out. So, so, you know, Brian, you were saying that like Grant Cohn bought in on the Seahawks legit, you know, believes they're contenders. Uh, the professional gamblers, the Sharps in Vegas, bought in on the Seahawks. They believe in this team. But do you know who is still doubting this team? Dana or O'Gorman is still, she refuses to believe this is a playoff team. She's in our DMs all the time, spreading negativity <laughs> and pessimism. Oh, and we'll get on board with this being a legitimately good uh, football team. So I just want to leave us with that before we move on to the... No, the I think that's important. I mean, Nathan... You're kind of outing her. We like we we brought Dana in. We like she she forced her way in uh, against our better judgment, and we we wanted to spread some of the joy and cheer that we've got with her because uh, she tends to be a little negative. I, and I'm having, little, uh, frankly, I'm dust. sick of it because I'm having to do double duty here. I'm having to hate on running backs and be positive about this team's playoff chances. Somebody needs to step up and do this other job. I can't do two at once. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's always talking trash about New Orleans as a city and barbecue. <laughs> like she's just, we, we got to help her. We got to help her. I think I, I appreciate you bringing that up, putting it in the light. 
for other people to see. Um, like, can we talk about the Cardinals for a second? Because like, this is a weird, 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 weird team. Like, on one hand, you look at them and they're like, okay, Kyler Murray, you know, he ran for 100 yards against the Seahawks. Like, he didn't throw that well against them, but he, they lose Hollywood Brown, but they get Robbie Anderson. Now they get DeAndre Hopkins and they start scoring. Like, they, they put up a decent amount of points. But their defense also gave up 34 points the last two weeks. They – they have a three and five record, but they lost to the Eagles by three. They were ahead of the, the Vikings on the road twice in that game, including late, end up losing. They're like 30th in DVOA or something like that. They're like 31st or something in PFF grades. So like their their analytics are like trash. But they were a tough game against the Seahawks. Like it was Yes, they got a, like, special teams punt touchdown that made it closer, but it was 12-9. <laughs> like, it was, it was tough, and their defense was tough. I don't get this team. Like, I, what, do you, what do you do with this? Jeff, like, what is this Cardinals team? They're inconsistent, which says a lot about coaching. And they're not, like, talentless, like you said. DeAndre Hopkins, some people wondered how he would do – coming off the PED suspension at his age, he's been incredible since he got back. And they have played a little better. Their offensive game of the year was disastrous. But what really against the Seahawks, their defense probably, other than San Francisco, they probably were the best team that's defended. They really gave the tackles trouble. They were throwing creative blitzes. And Vince Joseph has done pretty well against Seattle, especially when Russell was there with some different looks. But yeah, the last couple of games, their offenses looked better. But Andy Dalton was through for like four or five touchdowns against them. And the Vikings were moving the ball over the field and they don't have traditional pass rushers and they don't have good cover guys. So they did really well against DK and Lockett in the last game, but they did. So weird... that guy, that guy like shut DK down in that game. He was talking trash to DK in that game. He couldn't get uncovered. And did, that was the game. D Eskridge was like our leading receiver with three catches. It was a struggle. And, and like they're they're giving up points to Andy Dalton like left and right. So I, I don't know. Evan, what's the story down there? Like what what are people like have you I don't know if you've watched many of Cardinals games or if anyone has points of view. Like what what's yeah. their story? People are ready for Cliff to be fired. Um, you know, this is uh they're two games under five hundred right now, so they're three and five. If they lose this week, their shot at the division is pretty much zero percent um this is you know three plus years into the cliff era and there's a strong argument to be made that um this roster is playing below their talent level like they do have talent they have three pro bowlers in the secondary they definitely have offensive weapons they have some rookies that are flashing here and there they're not a you know a loaded roster but they're also not a 31st ranked DVOA roster. You right. know what I mean? So it's like, there's a pretty easy argument to be made that they're playing below their talent level. Um, there's a lot of people who want to fire him mid season. Uh, he did just get a recent extension. Yeah. It was last year, yeah. which is crazy. So I think that's kind of the general fan attitude is fire him now, rip off the bandaid. You know, nothing's going to change in the next 
nine weeks or whatever it is left of the NFL season. But I think Cardinals fans are just really tired of mediocre mediocrity. Uh, I, I don't any, believe that. Go ahead. Finish. Sorry. It's, it, there's, they're just uh, frankly disinterested in the team right now. It's they're going nowhere. They don't have a future. They don't have a path. Ownership is lame. Steve Kime is a dickhead. <laughs> Cliff King, just, Kingsbury is sipping margaritas in his uh, douche house. Like, like what? Like what else? What, that what, was what's an the actual, excellent troll job by the Seahawks with Pete Carroll after the, the win oh, last time. That, that, was, was, so that, was, that was so good. Yeah. But um, Nathan, there's two matchups in this game that I'm kind of curious where where you think what you think about. So. Couple things to note: the Cardinals have had a lot of trouble with their offensive line, health-wise, recently. There, that Rodney Hudson was the center they brought in last year that helped them a lot. He's been out for weeks. He's already been ruled out for this game. DJ Humphreys, their left tackle, uh, did not play in the last game. He played against the Seahawks, but he didn't play against the Vikings. Kingsbury's indicated it's unlikely he's going to play this week. Max Garcia, one of their guards, missed last game, did not practice today. So they, I mean, they could be beat up on the offensive line. That's not the matchup. The two matchups I'm curious about are one Geno Smith against this defense, which Geno Smith admitted he did not have his best game against the Cardinals. And they, they blitzed in ways that he did not read pre-snap and it caused problems. He was sacked five times in that game. So I want to know on that front versus DeAndre Hopkins did not play in the first game. This guy is if not the best receiver in the NFL. He's right there. Last game against the Vikings, 12 catches and 13 targets for 159 yards and one of the sickest touchdown catches you're going to see. Him against this secondary, how they choose, like, are they going to line him up against Kobe Bryant in the slot? Are they going to, like, try to go against Mike Jackson? Is Tariq Woolen going to get his chance? Tell me what's going to happen in those two matchups. Is Geno going to get the better of it? Is Hopkins going to get the better of it? What's your, what's your take on those two? Yeah, the Hopkins one is really interesting. I mean, I'm I'm kind of inclined to say that, you know, Hopkins is just going to get his. Um, mm-hmm. He'll get a, a handful of catches and, you know, a handful of yards. And I think the big question is going to be, you know, how impactful are they going to let those plays be, right? Are they going to be a bunch of, you know, six or eight yard passes on, you know, third and 10 or, you know, second and 10, you know, are you going to be able to set yourself up to get off the field or, you know, are you going to be letting him move the chains on you or make big plays on you? Um, And I don't know. I mean, uh, like you said, he's extremely good. So I I don't want to discount him, but I think, you know, you can be, you know, if you're just talking about matching him up with like Woolen or, you know, the, the defensive matchups, I think Seattle should have, some answers there and should be able to contain it contain him so he's not killing you the one that's really interesting though to me is the Gino one because by all accounts Gino's a really uh intelligent quarterback um and mm-hmm. he is like a quarterback's quarterback so uh, nice <laughs> so nice uh and um so but um uh uh who's the is it Bolts is or who's the um the Cardinals defensive coordinator space. Vance Joseph. Vance Joseph. Uh, yeah. Um, he's also extremely good. Um, and so it's going to be a really interesting chess mass chess match to see what does Gino learn and apply from the previous game? Um, and you know, how does Joseph 
mix it up on him right and so you know who can who can stay one step ahead on that one um it'll be uh i think this is a pretty good test of gino um to see just kind of like you know what the longevity for him will be right can he really you know learn and adapt and come back out and play a much better game um based off of you know the experience that he had in the first game i think that'll speak a lot about what seattle should do in terms of whether investing in him or looking to move on to quarterback of the future in the first round or something like that um so i'm curious like uh i guess I've, I've been thinking about this with games in arizona for the seahawks and jeff like we have seen some really good games down there we've seen the seahawks put up a lot of numbers and i'm kind of in one way like excited to see kenneth walker on that turf and like you know big plays we've seen marshawn lynch make huge plays we've seen dk metcalf run down buda baker right like on the other hand, we've seen some like really troubling injuries down there. And we've got two receivers that seem like they are battling through trying to make it to the bye week. And I'm a little nervous. I'm not usually, I don't usually think like that, but I'm like, I've got my eyes transfixed on the bye week. And specifically, I think this game is key. I am convinced the Seahawks are going to beat Tampa next week. So if they win this game to go to six and three, I'm convinced they're going to be seven and three going into the bye week, which fucking sucks because I don't like having that kind of expectation. So, <laughs> like, do you have any trepidation about DK or Tyler playing in this game? I was very nervous when they played last game against one of the more physical teams. And when we saw the report Friday, I didn't think any of them were going to play. So... If they played last week and they came out and they both practiced in limited fashion today, I thought they'd rest and Locke had been resting the last two weeks. I don't think he practiced any day in the last two weeks. And the fact that he was limited is a pretty good sign. So other, the only thing I'm worried about is that damn field. I think it was Josh or Dana in our chat that brought up that field and how many injuries Diggs got injured there last year and the Super Bowl and all the worst things happen to have. So I've been more focused on that. That's just how my brain works, but. I think if Lockett and DK were able to play last game without practicing really other than Friday for DK, come out of that, be good enough to practice Wednesday. I don't think I can be at the point where I'm worried about how their health will hold up because that's, that's, that's usually the key sign how they come out of those things. So I'm more worried about injuries than anything else just because of that damn field. But no, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet, Brian. Yeah. So we're going to get here to picks in a second. I think some of the other matchups that are on my mind, uh, Zach Ertz, you know, he actually went without a catch for a while in the first matchup and then started, you know, ended up as their leading receiver and get up with 70 yards. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch. I think the Seahawks tight ends, like they have continuously been a core part of the, the offense. Someone, you guys are going to laugh. I'm going to bring it up anyway. Someone who wasn't available in the first game was Travis Homer. And part of the blitzes that were not getting picked up were not just um were not just the line they were mistake that's kind of walker's first start um and i think there were some mistakes in pickup there travis homer's no like perfect solution there but i'm kind of curious um 
he's been he's done his job this year like he's, he's done fine this year so um and then the last one is marcus golden who's been pretty much crap for the cardinals this year he gave us trouble he got a sack he had five pressures like uh he gave charles cross a handful um in that game so i'm kind of curious about how all those things play out matt prater is back uh at kicker people forget but the cardinals kept going for it on fourth down and getting held in that game so they were coming away with zero points where they could have come been coming away with three six nine points a few different if they you know they had gone so anyway i think there's enough changes to this game that it could be very different than that first one um and so with that in mind evan What's what do you expect in this game? What is your predicted score? I think Seattle's offense continues to be on a roll. I think they get ahead early, which will make it really difficult for the Cardinals. This is not a team built to come from behind. And frankly, they're not a team built to win. So I think the Seahawks get ahead early. I think they score. I'm going to go something ballsy, like 28 points in the first half. I think the offense goes off. Yeah, I think they score 20, 28 points in the first half. And they end the game 38 to 17. So going with the Seahawks, I think this is a, this should be an easy win. Jeff, where are you at? Um, before the year, Pete called this the fastest team in the league when he said, or the fastest team they've ever had. And when he said that, I was like, oh, come on, Pete. Like you're such a politician, but he might be right. And this track and this field is just plays so perfectly into that, assuming they're healthy. But with Woolen and Goodwin and Metcalf, they have and Walker, they're just an explosive team. So I think this week could play into their strengths. I do agree with Nathan. I think Hopkins is going to have a really good game. I think he will get his, but I just don't think there's enough parts on Arizona right now that are working in their favor to beat a team like Seattle that is winning with so many different ways. So I'm going to say 31 to 20 for Seattle. Wow, Nathan. What's uh, happening? I'm thinking pretty much the same thing. I, I'll just do a slight variation. I'll say 35-20. Um, I think this team, I mean, they were unlucky to, um, you know, uh, they missed a couple touchdowns last week. Um I think that they'll learn from the first matchup. I think Gina will be better. Um, I don't think this Cardinals defense is particularly good. And so I think that they'll finally take advantage of that. And yeah, I think we're talking about a blowout here where, uh, you know, it, it could get very ugly if Seattle's offense clicks and the defense keeps playing the way it's been playing. Um, so yeah, 35-20. Wow. Gosh. So I've been listening to Dana too much. She is like, <laughs> she is like darkened my soul. And oh, uh, <laughs> uh, I believe this is the part in the story where the hero faces new adversity. Just when we're starting to feel, feel good about things and feel safe, uh, stub our toe. And I feel like this is a game where the Cardinals, Evan's point, this is a must win for them. They have to get this game. And they're playing at home, and their offense has been playing better. And 
I think the Cardinals are going to come away with this game and it's going to be very frustrating. And I'm going to say that they're going to score 24 points and the Seahawks are going to score 17. And uh, uh, it'll be very frustrating. And we'll see, we'll really see if Evan is totally okay with that. Oh, actually, I would love that. What are you talking about? <laughs> I wouldn't. I would not. I would not um, love that, but I'll I'd tolerate it. Oh man. It yeah. I mean, I I think that would change a lot of people's opinions if that happened. Um, I hope it doesn't. But that's 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 what I'm kind of uh, bracing for this week. Um, one last question, unless you guys had any others. Trey Brown, he's he's potentially coming back this week. Um, he's been pretty bullish on that. If he does. Like, assume he's going to rotate in for somebody. You think he's coming in for Mike Jackson? Like, what do you think? Where do you think he's playing? Anybody? I mean, I think they'll keep him outside, so he'll probably just rotate in with Mike Jackson, you'd think. It's hard to find a spot for him right now because all three of those guys are playing well enough that, like, who do you really want to take up the field? And, you know, he's an outside corner, and I think Jackson's probably the one you feel best about taking off the field right now, I guess. I don't know. I guess it's weird. Like I want to see him play, but I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know who I want him to come in for, which is at this point though. I doubt it's anything like if he plays this week, it won't be anything more than just getting him out there to get him out there though. It won't mean anything about like, you know, who is he actually going to replace? I think he's going to have to win a job. So this week will just be about getting him some run. <clears throat> yeah, they have the luxury where they don't have to rush him in. And I thought Jackson played his best game where they, their game plan seemed to be going after him early. And mm-hmm. he was he was good. He was his tackling has been really good, but his coverage was as good. And the last couple of weeks he's had chance the Chargers game, he could have had two picks. So how do you take him off the field right now? So I think the Seahawks are in a pretty advantageous, which is why Cindy Jones is no longer on the team where he's almost just a luxury player to have right now. And because of that injury, they don't need to rush him in and they can easily move him along slowly. Do you know the story, this, the story behind the Sidney Jones move where uh, the Seahawks could have had a six round pick, but Evan said he didn't want a six round pick. He said that he wanted Sidney Jones's insurance for insurance. Did you guys know that story? I heard about that. So they had to turn down the six round pick and instead they just waved him. It's 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 little known. I have no retort to this. <laughs> I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. I liked my precious Cindy Jones. I did too. I actually really like. He was like a legitimately good corner for us. He wasn't even like. No. He wasn't even like mediocre. I thought he was like an above average starting corner last year. Like uh, I can't believe that he had no market. Um, so crazy, crazy times. But um. With that, guys, let's uh, let's wrap there. Thank you for doing early this week. Um, hopefully, some of the things I said make sense, um, and I will not forget everything that happened tonight. But otherwise, uh, big game coming up. And if folks haven't already, we are like unbelievably close to getting to our eight thousand subscriber goal. We're at seven point nine seven thousand subscribers. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Give the show a like. Uh, click the bell to get notified when we go live. And then go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. 
get into the Slack channel right away, talk with folks, ask questions, have fun, and go Phillies. Go Phillies. Uh, screw the Astros. All right. Good night, everybody.